Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Twisted Talks. I'm Josh. I'm Tanya. And um, so yeah, as as you may have noticed, there was there was no episode last week, um, <laughs> because we were super super organized and recorded like like I don't know a shit ton like of episodes, fifteen or sixteen episodes. I imagine I wish we didn't. No, have that it was what it was like. It was like six, six, five or six. No, it was definitely five. more than that. No, because it was one per week for I was gone, which was four, and then yeah. the week I got back, we had one recorded for so five. Oh, so we still have some in the bank? No, we've none in the bank. We used all five. We yeah, only but had we five were recording recorded. Like th- we were recording like three a week there for like a month straight. No, we were supposed to, but we didn't record three a, a week. A mm-hmm. mo- we, we only did that for like two weeks. Oh. And that was, and we were also recording in advance, so we had the weeks before I left the oh. post as well. Oh, okay. So, th- yeah, so we were organised. We were organised for five weeks to cover the week I was back as well. But, but. jet lag did not agree. <laughs> um... Yeah, yeah, it was a lot worse coming home than it was going over. It was practically non-existent going over. But yeah, um, did I want to come home from America? No, did I cry? Yes. But look, we live, we learn. I'm here in Mitchellstown, so happy, yay. Um, but, <laughs> happy to be home. But um, yeah, so um, on that note, apologies for the gap week. But to be fair, we've only missed a week like once before. And I had COVID, so, you know. The, that, the first I couldn't time. speak. He didn't have COVID coming back from America. No. He had COVID the first time we missed no, an episode. No, COVID the first time we missed an episode. So, you know. So, that's yeah. that's fine. But um, welcome back. And this week we are covering a case because that's what we do. Yeah. We cover cases. We do. And um, Tanya, take it away because I'm babbling. Please, <laughs> okay. please take it away. So today we are going to tell you a little bit of little. A little bit. Sorry. So today we are going to tell you a little bit about a murder, which is fairly standard for us. Um, trigger warnings for murder, sexual assault, and there are also some minors involved. So if you don't want to listen to this one, no worries. Off you go. Grand. The N word as well. Yes. Um, oh, necrophilia. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bit of necrophilia. Yuck. Uh, now, the topic of our Twisted Talk this week is one Gary Ridgway, a.k.a. the Green River Killer. So let's start off with his early years. So Gary Leon Ridgway was born on February 18th, 1949. In Salt Lake City, Utah, which is one of the places Josh visited. Yes, you know, um, we just, we didn't long cover Ted Bundy before I went. Yeah. And then we decided to cover this before I went. So yeah. apparently I just felt like going to places where killers had been, even though I did absolutely nothing to do a crime over there. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a committing crime way. I, <laughs> I mean that in a going to sites of, he went on a spree. of relevance. <laughs> a shopping spree. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Gary was born to Mary Rita Steinman and Thomas Newton Ridgway. He has two brothers, Greg and Tom. I'm not too sure on where he falls in the order, but I do think his brothers are older than him. Uh, when Gary was young, his family moved frequently between Utah and Idaho before they finally settled down in King County, Washington in <laughs> 1958. Udaho? In, did I say Idaho? No. No, yeah. you did say Idaho. Idaho. <laughs> so I, I said Udaho. I used Idaho. Um, so they settled down in Washington in 1958 in, in an area that is now known as SeaTac. Um, that sounds like an IT company. Yeah, SeaTac for all your IT needs. Gary's family were described as poor. His father worked driving trucks whenever he was able and his mother raised the children in their small house near the Pacific Highway. According to some sources, his mother also worked as a sale clerk. Um, it's said that Thomas, his father, would often complain about prostitutes and one of Gary's wives would later say that Mary wore tight clothes, excessive makeup and, quote, looked like a prostitute. 
So, so you know, do with that what you will. I hate them. I want to be with someone who dresses like one, but they don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I like the look. I like the aesthetic. It's giving. It's giving. He either really hypocrisy. wanted to sleep with prostitutes, or he was sleeping with prostitutes. Yeah, it's just giving and straight just, up hypocrisy. Yeah, it's like when someone hates gays, and then it's like they bully someone, and then they come out but years later, and just they just gay. yeah, like it just like five years later, and you find out they love a big cock. <laughs> <laughs> um, Only fans. That you. Oh my god! I thought you were homophobic. <laughs> So, um, the boys, the three boys, slept in bunk beds and spent most of their time outdoors, exploring and playing, and when their father would come home after being away driving trucks, they would beg him to take them out into the woods and cook breakfast on an open fire. Mary's got the fish nets on again, get us out of here. (laughs) 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 Their, um, their mother has... Mary, the one with the fish nets. (laughs) Mary of the fish nets. Has been described by Ridgway's second wife as a, quote, strong woman who completely dominated her husband. And when he was a child, Gary witnessed a lot of arguments and violence between his mother and father. With one instance, he saw his mother break a plate over his father's head at the dinner table. He must have said a snide remark about her fishnets. Uh, Ridgway would later tell investigators that he had a bedwetting problem until he was 13. And that each time he would have an accident... Um, so each time that he would have an accident, his mother would immediately wash his genitals. And this is something that she did right up until the bedwetting stopped at the age of 13. Um, in addition to this, Mary would also belittle and embarrass Gary about his accidents in front of his other family members. And according to the Seattle Times, Gary had conflicting feelings of sexual attraction to his mother he told doctors that these feelings fluctuated between lust and humiliation and these feelings also led him to have murderous thoughts about his mother. Now, Gary's IQ was tested as a child and he was found to have an IQ of 82, which is apparently considered low. I haven't a notion about IQs. Don't, don't I know don't what, me, mine is in the... We spoke about this before in another episode yeah, about you know, our IQs being know. on that thing, but I never retain what mine is. Um, I never said explicitly what my IQ was on mine. Oh, mine, mine, mine does. Oh, Vanessa, why didn't you... Sorry, I'm distracted by the, the shiny thing. Why didn't Vanessa test my IQ? It ha- we're going to have to examine this afterwards. It has to be there somewhere. It. I have it in my email. We'll check it again later. After we finish the podcast. Yes. Um, so... Blah, 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 blah. Uh, Gary also had dyslexia and his school performance was considered so poor that he was held back a year. Uh, now, I've said a year, possibly two, but I did later find out during my research that it was, in fact, two years. Um, before he graduated from high school in 1969. Oh yeah, which would would make sense because he was 20 when he graduated. Yeah, so he did get held back two years because yeah. I think typically in America you're 18 when you graduate. I think so because it's kind of roughly the same here, 17 or 18 17 for or most 18, people. Yeah. Um, so Ridgway is also said to have dabbled in arson. He paid a girl to allow him to fondle her genitals and he's also said to have suffocated a cat during his childhood. Uh, when he was around 15 or six year, 16 years old, he walked up to a six-year-old boy on the street and said, quote, You know, there's a, there's people around here that like to kill little boys like you. And he then stabbed this six-year-old boy in the liver. The boy ran away, bleeding profusely, and luckily survived after spending several weeks in the hospital. Yeah, that do it. That would do several weeks. Mm-hmm. It would. The liver. Stabbed him. The liver. The liver. Okay. And, like, that really bleeds. Yeah. It, like, not yeah. that getting stabbed anywhere else doesn't bleed. Yeah, but, but like, the liver does. Um, yeah. That's a big organ. 
Okay, so after all that really um, nice, um, great information, uh, very positive vibes, like yeah. all of our cases, of course. Yeah, so positive. Um, positivity. Actually, speaking of positive, bear with. Give it about a paragraph and that'll, re- re- that, and that'll make sense. Okay. Ridgeway graduated from, by the way, adult life. I don't know, did I say that? <laughs> We're on to his we adult years. He's no longer a child, stabbing yes, six-year-olds. Exactly. Um, Ridgeway graduated from high school in June of 1969 at the age of 20. Um, he then enlisted in the U.S. Navy, where he served for two years before being honorably discharged in July of 1971. The, sorry, the amount of, of times the, that we've covered a serial killer or just a killer who has been in the Navy, the Army, or... And it's an honorable discharge. The Marines or something, and they've always gotten honorable discharge. But do discharge. you know what? Maybe it's just a case of they don't want, like... It's easier because the amount of people they probably have to discharge, in most cases, it's probably just easier to do an honourable one because otherwise I feel like people would ask questions about the types of people going into that Yeah, but as well, I thing. suppose if it was all a lot of it is about how well they hide that little evil part of themselves. Yes. Um, now, the positive part. In December of 1969, Ridgeway was diagnosed with gonorrhea. Um, the clap. Yes. Um, no STI or STD shaming all the same just him because he's a cunt yeah. um, if anyone deserves to get gonorrhea it's Gary Ridgway at the least gonorrhea but yeah. I hear her um, on the 15th of August 1970 he married his high school girlfriend I was surprised that didn't come up earlier because I couldn't find anything about her during high school not to say there's nothing there, but I didn't yeah. find anything specifically about the high school times they were together. Okay. Just the marriage afterwards. Um, so, yeah, he married his high school girlfriend, Claudia Barrows, uh, at Fort Lawton Chapel before going to Vietnam as part of his Navy service. Now, Ridgway has an incredibly high sex drive, and he spent a considerable amount of time with prostitutes during his time in the Navy. He Having contracted... Yep, yeah, gonorrhea. No, he contracted gonorrhea once again. Oh, which made him angry. However, it did not stop him from continuing to have unprotected sex with prostitutes. Like, and again, no sex work shaming, but I'm like... If you got it twice... Learn. Learn. Just start using some protection, please. Like, I mean, at least it's treatable, I guess. Yeah. You know, I'm not looking forward to the I clinic just feel this bad. week. I just feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> America was so fun. <laughs> it's the fact that you just slipped that in there. Anyway, it's as I was saying, uh, I feel bad for his wife, his wives, because he had multiple. <laughs> yeah, not um, at the same time, though. No, uh, he wasn't a pl- polygamist, polygamist, um, monogamous. No, monogamous is when you are in a relationship with one, one person. Yeah, so then um, you said he wasn't, so I said, Yeah, sorry, monogamous. he was monogamous. My mistake, I misheard. I he was not monogamous. I misheard. He wasn't polygamous. Polygamy is when you have multiple wives. He was monogamous. Oh, he yeah. Well, he wasn't monogamous himself. either because he was cheating yeah, back with all, the, with all the prostitutes. Yeah. But well, he was cheating. neither. He was, he, was, he, was, he was a rat bastard. <laughs> That'll do. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just feel bad for his wives. Especially, like, his first wife. She probably got gonorrhea off him twice. At least once, anyway, more than likely. Yeah. Um, so where was so that? Angry. I would be so Oh yeah. Angry. So Claudia, who was 19 years old, started dating other people while Ridgeway was serving in Vietnam. Um, can you blame her? And in no. under a year, their marriage came to an end. They divorced on the 14th of January 1972. After his time in the Navy, Ridgeway decided to move to the Seattle area. Um, so soon after his move to Seattle, he got a job as a truck painter, which he worked as for around 30 years, apparently. So... On the 14th of December, 1973, Ridgeway married, I love this first name, uh, Marcia Lorene Brown. 
Do you love that name because the actress? Yes, Marsha Cross. Yeah, the actress who plays. Brie that is probably it. In Desperate Housewives. Yes, I love her. Anyway, uh, and she's now known as Marsha Lorraine Winslow. I love, I love that surname. The surname Winslow. Um, whom Ridgway um, had a son with, uh, who they named Matthew, and he was born on the fifth of September, nineteen seventy-five, I believe. Um, during his marriage to Marcia, Ridgway became extremely religious and he began going door to door to try and convert other people to whatever religion he was practicing. Um, he would read the Bible, so there's the religion, Catholic or Christian, um, out loud at work and at home. And he would Sorry. insist. Yeah. Imagine you're at work. You walk in the door. Leviticus 5 I don't even know if that's a real thing. Leviticus is something to do with the Bible. I know that is, but I, I made up the 5 part. Yeah. Hawaii 5 Um. A reading from the... Yeah, but imagine you come home and your husband... from the gospel according to Matthew. There we go. Oh my God, I wonder is that why he went with the name Matthew? Was the religious stuff starting then? Um, So yeah, he would read the Bible out loud at work and at home. And he would insist that Marcia abide by the strict teachings of the church pastor. During this time, he also wanted Marcia to have sex with him outdoors and in inappropriate places. And he was insistent on having sex multiple times a day. I love the Lord. Can we fuck in the church? Not very Christian of you. No. Like... You know, why are you being so, like, strict about the Bible, trying to convert people? I mean, uh, making your wife strictly abide the church pastor's rules. But and then you are asking for all these things that are typically not associated with being a good Catholic or a good Christian. Not that you can't do it in public and be a good Catholic. But, like, it's, but it's like, generally frowned upon It's by generally the frowned upon. You don't speak about it at church. As in, you probably speak about it at confession. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, by the way, Father, uh, I made my wife have sex with me out behind the church there two days ago. Yeah, it's like, do you know the stand you were reading the sermon off of today? That's how my wife got pregnant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and she was actually uh, facing Matthew's passages in the Bible at the time. Hence the microphone went into the unspeakable region. <laughs> <laughs> okay, continue. Uh, continue. Um, so, anyway... Um, yeah, and he was also, as well as the inappropriate places and outdoors, he was insistent on having sex multiple times a day. I mean... I wouldn't oh. say that that's not Christian, but... I mean, no, because I think... didn't Isn't there, like, something about how... I don't know, they're married, so all things go, yeah, I guess. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure... Um, I don't know, is it the Catholics or just the Christians in general? Um, they have this, like, belief, or they had this belief. Again, I'm not a practicing Catholic with a long, long time, so don't quote Even me Even when this. I was supposed to be a practicing, yeah, I don't I think I was really practicing. I was like, ooh, communion, money. Ooh, confirmation, <laughs> money. money. Me, okay, I'm. Uh, that's all over I now? Okay, I'm done. I found my confirmation pledge the other day, actually. I was fucking skitting. But um, anyway, so there was, like, a belief, or there is a belief, that um, sex is not something that should be done for enjoyment. It should be done solely for the purpose of procreation. Oh, I've heard that before. Yeah. I don't know how strongly followed that is. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, multiple times a day. Ridgeway, despite being so religious, apparently he didn't get the memo about cheating because he continued to pay for prostitutes. Mm. Adultery is um, a sin, For sex during Gary. his marriage to Marcia. Um, Marcia struggled with her weight for most of her life, so she decided in the late 1970s to have a gastric bypass surgery. Um, and she quickly lost weight after that surgery and many men, you know, I suppose, began to find her more attractive, maybe more of their type. Um, however, this made cheating bastard Ridgeway jealous and insecure and the couple began to fight. Um, maybe they didn't fight before this point, but anyhow, they began to fight now. Mm. Or else they began to fight more, I don't know. Um, 
Marcia struggled to accept the relationship Ridgeway had with his mother. Ridgeway's mother controlled the couple's spending and she made the final decisions on their purchases. Ridgeway's mother would even buy his clothes. Uh, Ridgeway's mother also accused Marcia of not taking care of her son, which understandably Marcia resented. I'm assuming I'm assuming accusing of not taking care of her grandchild, their son. Yeah. I, I, I didn't wasn't sure whether to interpret that as What? baffles me right um like whether she was saying about like you know you're not taking care of gary or you're not, or you're taking, not taking care, care of, of my grandchild uh, what baffles me is i've seen a lot of women on especially on tiktok like telling their like mother-in-law horror, horror stories. stories yeah and i'm like or even their own mother stories the audacity when you're literally codependent so codependent with your son that you're treating his wife like shit because you don't believe that he's she's good enough for him how do you have the audacity to sit there and tell her she's not treating raising her child correctly. Like, how does anyone have the audacity to go up to someone and be like, mm, you're not raising your child correctly? And I'm like, if there genuinely is genuine concern there, there's... You, there's avenues, there's avenues to follow. Yeah, there's protocols in place. Now, don't get me wrong, in most countries, those protocols fail so yep. fucking much. So, again, I can also understand why people would not want to go down those avenues because it can make things worse. Yeah. Not always better, which is what it's supposed to do, make yeah. it better. But anyway, I'm... Unsurprisingly, Ridgeway would never um, defend Marcia. And Marcia was left to defend and try to control her domineering mother-in-law on her own. Mm. Um, I find Marcia's description of the mother very interesting compared to a later wife, which obviously I'll mention, mm-hmm. I think it's in this section too. A later wife. Um, <laughs> a later whiff. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, I realised as soon as I said it, don't look at me like that. What? Oh, never mind, it didn't click with you, that's fine. What did she say? Whiff. Whiff. <laughs> <laughs> the whiff off the church microphone. <laughs> oh, okay. This is chaos. Look, in fairness, <laughs> in fairness, lads, right? We haven't sat down to record in like fucking six weeks. Okay? If not seven. <laughs> just, just, just go with it, okay? Just oh, go with us. I'm... Oh, I'm... Yeah. So in July of 1980, Ridgeway and Marcia separated and Marcia later claimed... I don't know why I giggled there. This is not funny. That Ridgeway had once placed her in a chokehold during one of their... Josh! <laughs> no, it's not funny. But you know the whole coping mechanism thing. it's not thing. funny, is it? <laughs> no! I, like, because I think I'm actually crying at the same time. It's the personality disorder. Leave me alone. I'm emotionally dysregulated at the moment. But no, yeah, um, that happened. Um, now, apparently, um, I think I say it in a minute, apparently they both have really bad tempers, so I don't know like what the context there is at all. But a chokehold was apparently... No, I'm, Sorry, no, I'm I just really had a flashback to that time I lived with that those, those two people, that couple. <laughs> <laughs> and they were fighting, and I could hear it from my bedroom. And I went in and I was like, are you okay? <laughs> and at one point, one of them pushed the other one into a bookcase. And then I went back in like 10 minutes later and the other one had the other one in a chokehold. <laughs> I was just like, I don't like, want to here anymore. Si- yeah, but like, that's also a situation where like, what do I do? Like, that's a situation where I don't react appropriately. So I would find it not one bit funny. I'd be very extremely concerned, but bust my whole laughing like I just did a second ago. Yeah, I, did, I didn't even know what to do. I was like, can you just keep it down? And just went to bed. And then like two days, like the next week I had moved out. Yes, I remember. Vividly. Yeah. Same. <laughs> Trauma be like PTSD. that. Yeah. For you, not me, obviously. I was just kind of I hope they like, don't well, ever listen to this podcast. I was thinking that as you started <laughs> nah, talking. But, like, not. to be fair, even if they did listen, they'd be the only ones who know what we're on about. Exactly. You know. And if you come at me, I'll name and shame you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah, okay, so let's go back and let's say that let's maturely. In July of 1980, Ridgeway... No, I can't. I'm just going to go on to the next part. Continue. I'm going to hell. Um, but I would like to just clarify, not funny. Not funny. Okay, he keeps laughing, so I'm going to clarify. The... Domestic violence is no, never funny. No, Josh is just... Broken. Is broken, yeah. We're both broken. I would like to specify for the sake of that, I'm off one of my medications. <laughs> so, I'm going to put it down to that. We're readjusting to life. Un, 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 um, unmedicated. Not even unmedicated, because I'm not fully unmedicated, but... um. Un- Unsedated during the day. No, you don't Only sedated at night. <laughs> well, random, same vibe. It's just a random medication I pulled out of my head. Same issue, different font. <laughs> um, so, on the 17th of July 1980, Marcia filed a complaint with Kent Police Department claiming that Ridgeway was harassing her over the phone about divorce papers. Uh, by now, Marcia had a new boyfriend, and she also reported that Ridgeway was going to obtain a gun and blow her boyfriend's head off. Oh my god. So, yeah, that's serious. Mm hmm. Um, on the 20th of July 1980, Marcia and Ridgeway got into a physical fight. It is said that they were both known to have tempers. Um, I di- it didn't say who started it, how it escalated. Or who but, finished it. Or, yeah, but that there was a physical altercation and they, they both had bad tempers. On the 21st of July 1980, Ridgeway is accused of choking a prostitute. He had a thing for choking, mm. it would seem. Uh, Ridgeway and Marish's divorce papers, divorce, sorry, became final on the 27th of May, 1981. Uh, then Ridgeway began to attend a Parents Without Partners meeting, and he dated several of the women he met there. One of the women he dated he got engaged to, and they had intended to marry in June of 1984. However, the woman met someone else and broke it off with Ridgeway. Um, <laughs> so that's nice. Um, she was obviously so interested. Yeah. Um... It was at, wait, am I, yeah, it was at these meetings or functions where he met Judith Mawson in February of 1985, who would be his third wife. Um, imagine that, we're already on the third wife. Um, a few months into dating, Judith moved in with Ridgeway and they got married in June of 1988. I just think that's in poor taste, getting married the same month you were supposed to get married to the second one. Yeah. Well, not the second one, but the one you were dating. The one who left him for some I would months. have an issue with that. I wonder was did she not know that until like the whole story came out and like this became public because I'd be pissed. I feel like that's not something he would have told her like oh by the way I was meant to get married to someone else this month. Yeah you know like I know there's a four year gap but it's still that month. I'm like for me if you're getting married you're supposed to be getting married to someone else if you did get married to someone else. Also not shaming people who've had marriages before that's perfectly fine. But I just mean I don't want to get married to you in the same month month that that you either already got married before or were supposed to. Yeah because it's got significance to do with that person. Yeah exactly so I'm like that's a part that's a chapter of your life and I don't need it intertwining to the new chapter of our life. Exactly. But I'm um, Yeah, so a few months into dating, Judith moved in with Ridgeway. They got married in June nineteen eighty eight. Ridgeway had updated the house, including replacing the carpet, apparently. Um, before Judith had moved in, but some sources say that there was no carpet when Judith moved in and I believe yeah, that's from an I interview heard, with her. So I would yeah, take that I had seen to be um, that. That apparently there was no carpet in the house when she moved in and that apparently detectives later said to her that he had probably used the carpet to um, dispose, of dispose of a body. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm like, why was all the carpet gone? Um, well, I'll, this... Do, do we touch that later? Kind of. Kind no, of. I'll, I'll okay. go into it later. Um. So yeah, Judith found Ridgeway to be a gentle, responsible and structured man. <coughs> Bullshit. <coughs> yeah, pretty much. 
and appreciated well obviously that's the front he put up with her yeah and appreciated that he had worked in the same job at this point as a truck painter for 15 years mm. um so as far as judith was concerned ridgeway was like the perfect partner he was stable. i don't know whether he thought she thought that as a general thing or just for her but perfect partner in her eyes going by what she was seeing um, Judith gave Ridgway's mother praise for how she helped Ridgway to handle things that were difficult for him, mm. like his bank account and major expenses or purchases. And after some time, as Ridgway's, Ridgway's mother got older, Judith took over such responsibilities. Because we have to remember, I guess, he did have a low, he IQ, have a low IQ and he was dyslexic as well, so it was probably difficult. So I'm kind of like, it shows perspective because Judith obviously only really seemed to have good experiences with him that we know of whereas Marcia did not Mm. so like it's interesting how they're both describing practically the exact same thing but one in such a very different descriptions like very different perspectives so I found that quite interesting because the way Judith describes it it sounds like his mother was just being a good parent yeah and the way but the way the other way she sounded like a domineering bitch not a helpful mother yeah but then again, I guess there, there, there could have been a bit of both. Maybe there's a meeting yeah. in the middle of those two things. There are, yeah. Um, so Ridgeway and Judith moved several times, but always stayed in the South King County area. From 1989 to 1997, Ridgeway owned a residence in Des Moines. Des Moines. Des Moines. In Washington. He then moved to Auburn in Washington as well, which is where he lived until he was arrested in 2001 and Judith was shocked by the arrest of her husband because he was the perfect partner. Mm. And is my take it over. My long ass is this the murders and yeah. stuff? So usually Josh, like no matter what way we format the cases, Josh usually gets stuck with like the long sections. But this time it was my turn. And I'm delighted. Yeah. So... In 1982, women began disappearing in King County. Some were found murdered and others have never been found. Many of them were teenagers and almost all of them were sex workers and all these murders and disappearances were attributed to the Green River Killer. Um, And as well, the bodies were often found in clusters or groups um, and like near each other. So between July and August of 1982, five women were found in or around the Green River in King County, Washington. All five had a history of prostitution. I hate that word, but it's... it's it is what it is. It is what it is. When we, when we use these words, there's no shaming involved. No, absolutely not. Um, and at least four of them had disappeared from Pacific Highway South, which was an area well known as a hangout for sex workers. All five of the women had been strangled, and over the next few years, more and more women were found dead. Most of them, as I said, were teenage girls, and they were found in wooded or remote parts of King County. Most of the victims were found with no clothing or possessions, and in many instances, they were not found until many years after their disappearances, leaving only skeletal remains behind. With it being the 80s, it also took years for many of these poor women and girls to be identified. By 1984, there were 49 victims attributed to the Green River Killer. That's over a span of two years. That's fucking wild. Like, over a span of two years. Um, like how the fuck um, so seven of these 49 women were listed as missing as their bodies had never been found and the police were receiving lots of contradictory tips claiming that they were still alive now due to the enormity and severity of the case the King County Sheriff's Office established the Green River Killer Task Force pulling in detectives from law enforcement agencies throughout the county this actually included Robert Bob Keppel and Dave Reichert who we have mentioned in previous cases namely the Ted Bundy case mm-hmm. Um, and funnily enough, Ted Bundy actually offered his opinions on the Green River Killer case. Imagine that. So, um, what are you doing this week? Oh, we just have a consultant. Oh, what 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 precinct are they coming from? What state? Uh, oh, prison. Um, prison. Um, it's a serial killer consultant. Um, 
and I don't mean a serial killer expert, I mean an actual, it's, it's Bundy. It's, 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 it's Bundy. It's Bundy. Hi, it's Theodore. Teddy. It's Teddy. Um, so, Bundy spoke to the psychology, motivation and behaviour of the killer and suggested that he was revisiting the dump sites to engage in necrophilia with the bodies, something that actually did turn out to be true. Yeah. Um, so the task force grew with each murder. They investigated the murders, disappearances and thousands of tips as well as um, collecting evidence in relation to hundreds of suspects. But despite their efforts, they would they could find nothing definitive to identify the killer. Now, the task force was able to use the most recent advances in forensic science and investigative technology. But as I said earlier, this was the 80s and these advances were nothing like what we have today. Um, In 1988, investigators sent evidence from several of the victims to a private lab for DNA typing. But with the technology available at the time, they weren't able to obtain a profile or anything concrete. And it was also around this time that the task force ended up being reduced in size due to budget cuts. Um, By 1992, only one detective remained, and that was Tom Jensen. He was left in charge of handling the cases and reviewing any new tips. In 2009, or sorry, 2001, my apologies, Detective Jensen decided it was time to take advantage of newer technologies and forensic science. He submitted biological evidence from several of the victims to the Washington State Patrol Crime Laboratory. That's and, a mouthful. Honestly. And this time they were able to develop a profile which was a match to Gary Leon Ridgway. Now, we're going to jump back a bit to the 80s again just to touch on some things from the initial investigation. So Ridgeway had actually come to the attention of investigators a few times. The first time was in 1983 when a witness had come forward to say he had seen Ridgeway's truck um, and it appeared to be, sorry, he came forward to say that Ridgeway's truck appeared to be very similar to the truck that he had seen missing woman Marie Malvar in on the night that she had disappeared. However, the witness had given a very general description of both the truck and the driver Ridgeway denied picking Marie up and without any evidence of the case... Circumstantial at best. Yeah, without any evidence, the case came to a standstill. Ridgeway would pop up up several more times in the investigation as a potential suspect and was interviewed quite a few times. He was described as generally cooperative and admitted to dating prostitutes, um, including at least one of the missing victims. Um, And I just want to say dating is a euphemism for like using the the services of a sex worker. Um, so he also admitted to soliciting at least one of the missing victims. Um, and he also admitted to assaulting Rebecca Gard Gawai, uh, claiming he did so in retaliation after she bit him. Ridgway also successfully passed a polygraph test in which he denied involvement in the murders. Now, we know these days polygraph tests are not trustworthy. No, no, um, there's ways about, like... There's ways of getting around them. Exactly, and I suppose a lot of the time it depends on like nerves and sweat and things like that. And and if you're completely like not bothered. No matter what polygraph test I would be made to take, I would fail because of my anxiety. I would very likely be the same because I'd be so nervous and anxious even though. It's like, it's like even when I was going over on like to America and even when I was flying between the states, like from Utah to, from Boston to Utah, Utah to New York. And stuff like that. I was like, do you know when you're going through security and you put your bag in, it's like, oh my God, what if they find like drugs? Oh my God, what yeah, if they find a bomb? It's like, you drugs. packed the fucking bag. I'm it's like, like I, I don't do bag. drugs. I'm definitely not a fucking terrorist. But the fear uh, well, I terrorise myself, but, but that doesn't count. that's different. 
Um, but you're st- I'd still be there getting pure anxious and being all sweat and be like, oh my yeah. God, I'm going to get arrested. What if somehow someone slipped like a fucking five pound bag of heroin into my bag? Like, what Exactly. Or even like, it was so funny. I was talking to my friend and I was like, oh my God. I was like, do you know how like you've got like the FDA and I was like, there's different rules for products and stuff like that. I know Europe tends to be the stricter one than normally. Yeah. But I was like, what if the toothpaste I use is an FDA approved or something and I get arrested over my fucking toothpaste? I don't think they'd arrest you over your toothpaste. It's America. They, they would just confiscate it. It's America. Because um, I, I would was, not be surprised. Was it when I was going back from London? Um, London. London. Meet me at the London. Um, so when I was going back from London, I had a bottle of dry shampoo in my bag, and it was over the hundred mil. Hundred mils. So my bag got shunted to the side, um, and then he just went through the bag and took it out and was like, "Yeah, you can't have this." And I was like, "Yeah, grand, you can keep it. Use it away. It's grand. <laughs> I won't miss it." Um, so on April 8th, 1987, the task force actually served a search warrant for Ridgway's home, his work locker and several vehicles that he, that he had access to. I actually, what I'm trying to figure out as well is, how did they know that that DNA was Ridgway's? Oh, because he'd already been arrested before for solicitation, so his, yeah. Um, you're getting, you're putting the horse before the cart here, Josh. Or the cart before the horse. <laughs> the horse goes before the cart. Um, <laughs> so they seized hundreds of items as evidence, including carpet fibres, ropes, paint samples and plastic tarps. And these were sent to the Washington State Patrol Crime Laboratory for comparison um, to evidence collected from the victims. But nothing came up to link Ridgeway to the crimes. Why are you shouting at me? Why is this child shouting? <laughs> She's staring. <laughs> um. So... Where am I? Uh, yeah, sent so, to the lab. Um, but nothing came up to link Ridgeway to the crimes. Now, bear in mind, this was the 80s. As I said, Not things weren't what they are now. Um, so Hence why it was done again in 2001. Mm-hmm. You're really like just... You already said this a minute ago. I'm not putting the horse in front of the carriage. I carrot. did not say that. You did. When? Oh, I did, I did. Yeah, Sorry. now, Sorry. thank my you. My apologies, my apologies. My most grievous That's apologies. why I was wondering, because you'd already said that he'd been... Ar- that they'd identified the DNA, and I was like, but how? Where did they have his DNA yeah, in the I first place? Already, I had forgotten I had said that. <laughs> my brain is mush. Um, so... Investigators also obtained and, and analysed Ridgeway's financial records... But the most significant piece of evidence that they collected was a saliva sample from Ridgeway. Mm. And that's how they knew that it was his Yeah, DNA. but what I was trying to yeah, but what I was figuring out a while ago was how did they know in order to get the search warrants without his DNA already being in the system? Um I suppose he but was But then there was the was arrest a, for he, solicitation, yeah, but I don't think was, we'd mention them yet. Um no, but I suppose. So that's he why was, I was saying it. He, like I don't think he was the only one that they served search warrants on, to be fair. Like it was just he was um considered a strong suspect at the time but nothing was found so then he was let go um now yeah so they collected um a saliva sample from ridgeway and this is what broke the case open in 2001 when it was compared to partial dna on vaginal swabs taken from marcia chapman as well as pubic hairs taken from opal mills um and these were two of his victims this comparison was done by forensic scientist Beverly Himmick um, of the Washington Laboratory. I, I am name. going to be referring to it as the Washington Laboratory from now on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is definitely enough. Um, <laughs> and around the same time, forensic scientist Jean C. Johnston analysed vaginal swabs from Carol Christensen. And she found that the DNA profile obtained from the sperm on the vaginal swab was a match to Ridgeway. And she calculated that not more than one individual in the entire world would exhibit this DNA profile with the exception of an identical twin which, which he, he obviously did not have. didn't have 
Um, So this discovery is what police had been hoping to find for almost 20 years, and they immediately began prepping for an arrest. They put together another task force. This one was called the Green River Homicides Investigation in order to prepare the cases against Ridgeway while reviewing the remaining unsolved murders. On November 16th, 2001, Ridgeway was arrested after attempting to pick up an undercover officer posing as a sex worker. He was released later that day and ironically, when he was being interviewed, he asked them not to contact his wife. He said, quote, you can contact the Green River Task Force. They know me really well. Who said that? Gary Ridgway. He obviously was referring to the fact that they had interviewed him so many times, yeah. like not realizing that they knew that he was the killer. Um, he thought he was being he was being smug. He thought he was getting yeah, laid up. He thought he was like the fucking the shit. Like, um, so two weeks after this, on November thirtieth, Ridgway was arrested for murder as he left work at the Kenworth plant in Renton. On December fifth, two thousand and one, the King County prosecuting attorney charged Ridgway with four counts of aggravated murder in the first degree for the deaths of Carol Christensen, Cynthia Hines, Marcia Chapman, and Opal Mills. In three of these counts, DNA evidence linked him directly to the crimes, and the body of Cynthia Chapman was discovered just a few feet away from two of the other victims, leaving no doubt that the same killer was responsible. Yeah. I wonder. Obviously, as we know, he just plucked his victims out of wherever. You know, but I wonder, did it play any part in the process of choosing the victim or did it, was it just, did it end up giving him a thrill after the fact that one of them had the same first name as his second wife? Yeah. And as well, I think, didn't one of his wives originally have the surname Chapman or am I wrong? Not that I'm aware of. I must must have misheard you so. Um, But yeah, um. I don't know, like, he killed so many women that it's possible he didn't even click on. Exactly. Like, did he even get a name? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, because I know... And if he got a name, did he get um, a real name? I know a lot of prostitutes won't use their real names. They'll go by, like, nicknames. Yeah, like an alter ego, like... Yeah. Um, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so on April 15th, 2002, the King County prosecuting attorney gave written notice that he would be seeking the death penalty. And over the next year, investigators worked tirelessly to review and investigate the other Green River killer murders for, sorry, um, investigating for further forensic work and possible charging. Hundreds of items were sent for forensic testing in both public and private labs. And, excuse me, in an effort to ensure the case would go to trial in a timely manner, the King County Superior Court set a date for March 28th, 2003. There wasn't long to go before this deadline when private lab Microtrace reported their findings. They had found tiny spheres of spray paint on the clothing of two victims, Wendy Caulfield and Deborah Estes. And this paint was an identical match to the highly specialised DuPont Imron paint that the Kenworth truck plant used. And this was where Ridgeway worked. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Wendy Caulfield was the first of five victims found in or near the Green River um, between July and August of 1982. And Ridgeway was already charged with the murders of the last three victims that were found there, these being Opal Mills, Cynthia Hines and Marcia Chapman. Detectives believed it was obvious that he had also killed Deborah Bonner, whose body was found in the Green River just a few weeks after Wendy and only a few days before Opal, Cynthia and Marcia. As a result of this, on March 27th, 2003, the prosecuting attorney filed three more counts of aggravated murder for Wendy Caulfield, Deborah Bonner and Deborah Estes. Uh, Ridge, Ridge, Ridgeway. <laughs> I keep going to say it like that as well. Ridgeway pleaded not guilty to the additional counts and a trial date was set for July 2004. 
Now, let's discuss a little bit about how Ridgeway would gain the confidence or the trust of these women and kind of lure them to... It's like, you know, she's getting serious because every ounce of giddiness I had at the start has just evaporated. Um, So he would gain their confidence and lure them to his kill site, which was typically his um, the back of his pickup truck, which was covered with a canopy so that nobody could see in. Um, or he would bring them to his home or to a secluded spot outdoors. He had a few different ruses to put his victims at ease, one of which was to use a picture of his son to gain their trust, so he would like be showing them his ID. But he How would... do people not realise that psychopaths and serial killers can have children too? Yeah, but he would basically flip open his wallet to show them his ID. And, and it would just conveniently be there. There would be a picture of his son just there to like kind of put them at ease, I suppose. Um, he also stated that many of them, about 50 by his own estimates, um, had asked if he was the Green River Killer and he would point out his small stature and state it, he couldn't possi- it couldn't possibly be him because he wasn't tall enough, basically. Um, it, more often than not... Um, prostitutes would refuse to date him thinking he was an undercover police officer so to assuage these women he would carry beer in his truck and offer them one which would make them relax believing he wasn't a cop because I suppose a cop wouldn't offer you yeah, legally probably can't do that no, yeah because <clears throat> um, as well you have to think a lot of his victims were minors mm. um, so he would also offer to become... And then obviously over there, even over there even if they were 18, 19 yeah, it's there's, 21. there's just 21 <clears throat> is the legal drinking age so he would also offer to become a regular customer, offer to lend them his vehicles, tell them that he would get them jobs or, you know, offer to feed them. And if the conditions weren't right for murder, for example, if the woman was with someone else or had a companion with her, he would offer them a lift to gain their trust for when he could catch them alone. Alone, yeah. Um, his preferred kill site was at his home and he would use his son's bedroom um, as a way to make them feel more secure because I suppose they would look at it as... Well, oh, he's a dad. Yeah. Or, oh, he's got a young kid. He's not going to hurt me. Um, is the kid there, though? Is the is the child in the room with us right now? Well, actually, going by later on, it doesn't matter. So, um, when he took them to his house, he would encourage them to use the bathroom, but this was for his own benefit, as his method of killing was strangulation, and victims of this often lose control of themselves and become incontinent. Um, Ridgway said that he killed most of his victims in the same way. He would tell them that he could only orgasm while entering them from behind. And while in this position, he would wait for them to lift their head before he would... I'm going to do a little demonstration for you. So he would wrap his arm around their neck so that their arm was in the crook of his neck... The crook of his... Or their neck was in the crook of his arm, like on his inner elbow. Yeah. And then he would use his other arm for leverage to get like a really good grip and a really like... To like... Tight grip. Yeah, for any struggling. Um, <clears throat> He... Yes, he would use his other arm for leverage. He would tell them that if they stopped struggling, he would let them go, as this led to less resistance and made it easier for him to get what he wanted, which was to murder them. Mm -hmm. Occasionally, he would use ligatures, as the woman often left scratches on him while fighting for their lives. And in my opinion, it's a shame nobody managed to gouge out an eye or two. Yeah. Now, um, this next part. Ew, is all I can say. So at first, Ridgway denied any allegations of necrophilia, but after a few days of being interviewed, he admitted to having post-mortem sexual intercourse with some of his victims. His desire for this was apparently so strong that he once drove back to visit the body of one of his victims and engaged in his usual disgusting acts while his son was asleep in his truck, 
30 feet away. 30 feet's not even that far. No. Um, Because that's the main point of the story there. And Um. he assured detectives after this admission that his son was, quote, a hard sleeper because that makes it okay. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, fair enough if your child's a heavy sleeper, you have a woman over and you do the deed and they leave. Yeah. When they're alive. Yeah. And can consent. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's okay. That's fine. You know, adults be adults, adults mm-hmm. got needs. Mm-hmm. Now, he claims to have done this with 10 or so of his victims and oh claims it was more for convenience than anything else, saying that the bodies were close to his home and said, quote, just wanted sex and it was free. I didn't have to pay for it. I killed her. He didn't seem to have an issue, though, finding girlfriends when he was finding girlfriends and wives and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, if you do that, you don't really have to pay for that either. Yeah. Um, now, there's a lot that I didn't include because it was just really graphic. Mm. Um, but if you do want to do research on this yourself, just be mindful. Um, I've read things that I will probably not be able to forget. Um, Ridgeway was able to put to bed speculation about why some of his victims were found on their backs and seemed to be posed with their legs spread in unnatural positions. And this was because these were the victims that he had engaged in necrophilia with. And, and rigor mortis is a thing. had to force their legs open in order to do what he wanted to do. Now, this just might be the most disgusting murderer we've covered. I felt sick just typing that out. Um, he also covered many of his victims with branches, brush and whatever was at hand. Because in his words, she's garbage. So I put stuff over her that was garbage. I would just like to say, first of all, your victim was not garbage. Second of all... You are garbage. Trees are not garbage. No. And neither is, like, bush and flowers and stuff, so... Man's out here acting like he emptied out a trash can. But, um, yeah, that's a disgusting thing to say. And that's, that's, that's your turn. Okay. Done. So, um... By April of 2003, the prosecutors and detectives had finished their review of any and all cases that could be linked to the Green River Killer. These reviews were huge and made up of hundreds of uh, witness interviews. Um, As Tanya mentioned earlier, Ridgway was arrested and charged. I don't know, did you mention the charges, did you? The three counts of aggravated murder first. There was and then there the... was No, sorry, there was two first and then he was charged with three more. And I've just jotted that together. So, Ridgeway was arrested and charged with four counts of aggravated murder in the first degree and then due to the spray paint that was matched um, to Ridgeway's work and him being <clears throat> found on the clothing of multiple victims, uh, this resulted in the filing of three additional counts of aggravated murder in the first degree. However, 42 of the Green River cases were still uncharged and there was minute physical or circumstantial evidence connecting Gary Ridgway to any of them. The lack of evidence pointing to any suspect meant that without a confession, the 42 cases would stay unsolved. Um, After the arraignment of Ridgway, his attorneys contacted the King County prosecuting um, attorney and asked if the prosecutor would not seek the death penalty in exchange for guilty pleas to the charged counts as well as numerous other cases. Ridgway's attorneys offered that Ridgway would plead guilty to the seven counts he was being charged with as well as 40 to 47 additional counts of murder if the prosecution agreed not to pursue the death penalty. 
Ridgway offered to give an open and honest account of his crimes in King County and to point investigators to the remains of numerous undiscovered victims. The prosecutor had to decide in April of 2003 whether to reject the offer put forward by Ridgway and his attorneys and proceed to trial on the seven charged counts alone, allowing a jury to determine if Ridgway was guilty of the crimes and if he was, should he receive the death penalty. If it went to trial and the jury found him guilty and decided on the death penalty, there's always the possibility that Ridgway would appeal the verdict for many years before then being executed if he hadn't already died of natural causes before his execution date. And as said, the trial would also have been only on the seven charges, meaning so many victims would not receive any inkling of justice that they deserved and some may never have even been discovered in terms of their remains. Um, so then on the other hand, the prosecutor could accept Ridgway and his attorney's offer um, taking away a jury's opportunity to sentence Ridgway to death, but at least with this option, much more would come to light and some semblance of justice could be obtained for many more victims, including retrieving the remains of undiscovered victims so that they could receive a proper burial, cremation service, whatever their whatever. family or friends <coughs> or state preference, if they didn't have anyone, would be. Um, this option may remove the death penalty... As a, as, as a possibility, but at least Ridgway would be held accountable for all the murders he committed, not just a few. Um, and he would not be executed, but he would not be able to appeal his convictions and he would ultimately die in prison because he would be there for the rest of his life. Uh, so on the 13th of June 2003, the King County prosecuting attorney and Ridgway agreed that the death penalty would be avoided in exchange for Ridgway providing thorough, honest and accurate information regarding his crimes in King County and that Ridgway answer all questions during interviews with the police or prosecuting attorney. Ridgway agreed to uh, agreed to disclose the existence and exact um, location of all undiscovered remains of his victims and he also agreed to plead guilty to aggravated murder in the first degree for all the murders he committed in King County. The terms of this plea deal required Ridgway to not, uh, sorry, required Ridgway to address not only the quote-unquote official list of 49 victims, but any and all other crimes that he may have committed prior to 1982 or after 1984. Um, this plea deal would not only bring the mystery of the Green River Killer to a close, but it would also provide some answers and maybe some sort of closure to the families and friends of victims. Mm. Um, it would also help the authorities as well to identify what unsolved murders Ridgway was not responsible for so that the police could investigate those murders focusing on finding other viable suspects. Um, now, this plea deal, or agreement, whatever you want to call it, also stated that if Ridgway was not completely open and honest, that he could face the death penalty for any of the murders he did not disclose. So if Ridgway failed to confess to a murder that he was responsible for and it later came to light, the prosecution would be able to seek the death penalty against Ridgway for that crime. Kind of a bit of motivation for yeah, him to an be incentive. truly open and honest. So in June of 2003, the task force began to extensively interview Ridgway and continue to do so over the next five months. Detectives confronted Ridgway with all the Green River murders as well as any similar unsolved homicides. Uh, Ridgway claimed that he had murdered over 60 women in King County and he led the police to the places um, he left bodies and he described what he had done there. Ridgway's memory of these locations exceeded all the information given by his attorneys and the knowledge of detectives who had even worked the case for decades. On top of this, he identified multiple dump sites on cases that were never even considered to be Green River cases. Oh my God. Um, Ridgway led the task force to many sites where he claimed to have left undiscovered bodies. Human remains were found at these sites, most of them identified, but as of 2021, there were still there's still two unidentified, and I, I'm pretty sure as of now, there's still two unidentified. Yeah. Um, so 
During over four months of interviews, Ridgway was questioned about specific homicides as well as going through his general habits and thoughts in relation to his in relation to his killings. Um, it was quickly observed by detectives that the information from Ridge, Ridgeway... Oh my God, why do I keep struggling so badly with his name? Same. Uh, came in dribs and drabs, or bits and pieces, which is, as predicted by experts on serial killers, they say that that's how you get information yeah. from them. They, they like to keep that element of control, I suppose. <clears throat> now, at first, even though Ridgeway certainly had the incentive to be honest in interviews, he acknowledged that he was a pathological liar. Ridgway also acknowledged that it was hard for him to be honest after being so successfully deceptive about the killings for decades. Oh, sorry, hon. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry to shit on your parade. Sorry you got caught. Uh, not really, though. Um, Delira. Um, Ridgway also put forward that another reason he would lie or minimise his conduct or behaviour was oh, because he believed that a popular true crime author would write a book about him and he wanted to betray himself portray himself in the best possible light oh sir God. if a true crime author is writing a book about you it's not for your charming it's smile and thing. your charity work it's not a good thing well unless you're ted bundy then apparently it is about your charming smile and char- charisma as well as Which, everything else that's like ted bundy he was not a good looking man it's kind of like that clip from Gogglebox where it's like oh we all love a bad boy not a fucking, fucking terrorist, terrorist chris <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah look it, ted bundy he's not a good looking man yeah, and it is, that is a, that is a hill that I am willing to die on. Like I can see how some people might be interested. Like he's very, he's attractive in the old-fashioned sense, but not I in disagree. not by modern standards. I disagree. I don't think he's attractive by any standards, to be honest. I think he's attra- He was attractive in the nineteen fifties way, but no, I, I don't, don't find him it. attractive in the nineteen fifties like, way. Harry Grant was attractive in the nineteen fifties way. Who's that? He's an actor. Um. Yeah. So I'm early in the I'm interviews, the wrong actor, but sure looks fine. Someone's attractive in the nineteen fifties way, anyway. Um. Early in the interviews, Ridgway had made multiple self-serving claims, such as how he had not planned to kill any of his victims, and that he ended up killing them in a rage. Sorry. Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Did that? Just, just thought about James Dean. Now he was attractive. James Dean was an attractive man. Excuse me. <laughs> Gave my heart little flutters there. Funny flutter. <laughs> Um, in an interview, sorry. Oh yeah. So early in early in the interviews, he'd made multiple self-serving claims, such as how he had not planned to kill any of his victims, and that he ended up killing them in a rage when something about the encounter would provoke him. Wait, such as a woman not faking an orgasm enthusiastically. An orgasm. An orgasm. <laughs> such as a woman not faking an orgasm enthusiastically enough, or if the woman hurried him. And oh, there were plenty oh, of stupid excuses like that. Um, and that, well, like, that, her moans just didn't seem realistic, like, so I had to kill her. <laughs> she moaned like a heifer in heat. <laughs> like a heifer in heat. Actually, no, that's enthusiastic, I guess. But <laughs> do heifers have heat? I don't know. She moaned like my cat in heat. Yeah. <laughs> she's, that cat. <laughs> that cat is always in heat. <sighs> she's constantly in heat. Never stops. I swear, like, we talk all the time, and I swear, every time we talk, she's in heat. She's in Or the you background. don't even have to tell me, I can just hear. <laughs> No, 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 no. It's more like I could hang on. It's more like girl thinks she's some sort of that's parakeet exact, crossed with a cat. That's the exact noise my cat makes when she's in heat, lads. But so like, you know. yeah, loads of bullshit, stupid excuses like that. However, he later acknowledged what we all thought that many of those claims were bullshit, and that once he had gotten a woman into his house, he killed her regardless of how she acted or how he felt. 
that was just his little struggle with the pathological yeah. lying for getting away with it for so long. I want to be seen as good. Oh my god, the microphone fell. <laughs> I want to be seen as good. You're a murderer, Gregory. Gregory. <laughs> Gregory. No, his name's not Greg. No, Greg. it's not. Greg's his brother shit. I was like, Sorry. I thought we were making a joke and it just reminded me, have you seen those TikToks of that dude? Gregory. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gregory. <laughs> it's giving, um, Stephen. <laughs> But anyway, um, wait, what's his name? Gary. Gary, sorry. <laughs> sorry to Gary. Greg. Sorry to Greg Ridgway. <laughs> I'm... Okay, so Ridgway also initially not only claimed, but insisted that he stopped killing in 1985, the year he met his third wife, Judith oh. Mawson. Oh. However, as the interviews progressed, the year he last killed changed from 1985 to 1987, then to 1991, and again to 1998, and then to some unknown time before his arrest in 2001. So, um, basically, he didn't choose to stop at all. He was stopped because he was caught. He didn't stop. He slowed down, and then he got caught. Yeah, basically. Um, as we know, Ridgway had every incentive to confess to every murder and to be honest, otherwise he could face a death penalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, he did not confess to every murder that was originally attribu- attributed to the Green River Killer. Um, as well as this, Ridgway rejected detectives' efforts to suggest he had committed numerous other unsolved and similar homicides. On one occasion, he declared, You can put her on the list of mine, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to say I killed her because I didn't kill her. Ridgway was clear that he would not claim to kill someone unless he actually did it. He explained why he would not claim a murder, claim a murder he didn't commit as follows. Why? If it isn't mine... Because I have pride in in what I do. I don't want to take it from anybody else. Excuse the fuck out of me. He's pride in what he does. This is like that fucking, that resource that we found that was like occupation, murderer. Yeah. He really looked at it as as an occupation. As his full-time job. Yeah. What a sick fucker. So yeah, he wouldn't do it because he takes pride in what he does do. So if he didn't do it, not involving. All that's missing is legs wide open and just being like, well, bro. <laughs> no, because like, do you know the damn? Oh yes, yes. Mm. That's yes. How can we not know the damn? Bye, Felicia. Um, and how? Of course, we can't trust a serial killer. So even with the incentive to be honest to avoid the death penalty, how do we know he's not lying? Yeah. You know. This is true. Uh, during interviews, at one point, Ridgway claimed he was not very concerned about the death penalty. He said then that, why yeah. is there a plea bargain? Yeah, but as well, what I'm saying is, maybe if he's not that pushed about getting caught down the line, he could be lying out yeah. left, right and centre because he's like, oh, well, what will be, will be. Because oh, that's a really pretty But um, he said that he would rather live than die, but he did tell a forensic psychologist, well, I've read up a little bit about it, injection, and, and then uh, could take seven or eight years before getting it, plus if the... Books say it just, it's a process that you just go to sleep and your heart stops, so there's very little pain. Did he have a stutter? I don't know, but I'm assuming it's the low IQ as well. Oh, it could be, because I know in a lot of the direct quotes that I've seen, he's kind of, um, it seems like he's struggling to find the words. Yeah. Um, So in the end, Ridgway had admitted to committing most of the murders on the official list of Green River cases and six unsolved homicides. Back to you in the studio. In Meaning the, the um, driver's seat of the car. Um, um, we pause it a second. Stay tuned after the break. Twisted Talks would like to thank you for your patience. We are back. Um, so Ridgeway was placed in solitary confinement at Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla uh, in January 2004 on, Mar- on May 8th. 
work, Bray. Me all day. If so, one more fly <laughs> touches me. <laughs> we were doing our research and um, the flies kept going for Josh and he was losing his ass. I swear to mind. God, like everyone thinks that New York can be dirty. And fair enough, when all the rubbish goes out at half ten, it is kind of smelly. But I only saw a fly like once. Whereas here, they're fucking everywhere. So I'm going to start that section again. Ridgeway was placed in solitary confinement at Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla in January 2004. On May 14th, 2015, he was transferred to the High Security Federal Prison, USP Florence, east of Canyon City, Colorado. And in September 2015, after a public outcry and discussions with Governor Jay Inslee, it was announced by Corrections Secretary Bernie Warner that Ridgeway would be moved back to Washington to create easier access for open murder investigations. And he was brought back to the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla what the fuck is that? on October 24th, 2015. What the fuck is what? That. What the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah! I've never seen a bug like that before. Why has it got a tail? <laughs> Get off my window. It won't. <laughs> oh, that's coming through relatively loud on the camera. <laughs> on the camera, says me. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, yes, that's on October 24th, 2015, he was moved back to the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla, which, do y'all really have a place called Walla Walla? Walla Walla Bing Bang. Because that, 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 I like that. I like it. Walla Walla Bing Bang if you drop the soap. It's got pizzazz. Pizzazz. I lo- yeah, I love how it's a prison, but it's got pizzazz. Pizzazz. It's, it's me. It's your turn. Okay, so... Um, Gary Ridgway was charged and pled guilty to a total of 49 counts of aggravated murder in the first degree. The number of women in which Ridgway claims to have murdered is much higher. I believe it's in the 70s or the 80s or something like that. Um, that was ambitious. Yeah, in all the wrong things. Mm. Um, so Gary Ridgway is confirmed to have killed 49 women. 47 of these women have been identified while two remain unidentified to this day. The remains of all 49 women were found. I just... Yeah, they were all found, yeah. I confused myself yeah. a little bit there, but they were all found. It's just two of them are not identified. Uh, we will now briefly go through the list of victims, and as always, we send all our love to the victims, their families and friends, and anyone who's been affected by this despicable man or any other circumstances, domestic abuse, anything that's been mentioned in this that is all the love and healing vibes yes. sending your way. Um, so, on the 8th of July, 1982, 16-year-old Wendy Lee Cofield disappeared. Her body was found on the 15th of July, 1982. Um, and just to say as well, these are all the confirmed victims that yes. we're going through right now. Um, Giselle Anne Lavorne was 17 years old when she disappeared on July 17th, 1982, and her body was found on September 25th, 1982. On the 25th of July 1982, 23-year-old Deborah Lynn Bonner disappeared. Um, her body was found on the 12th of August 1982. Marcia Faye Chapman was 31 years old when she disappeared on August 1st 1982 and her body was found on August 15th 1982. On the 11th of August 1982, 17-year-old Cynthia Jean Hins disappeared. Her body was found on the 15th of August 1982. Opal Charmaine Mills. I love that name. It's so pretty. Was 16 years old when she disappeared on August 12th, 1982, and her body was found on August 15th, 1982. On the 29th of August, 1982, 16-year-old Terry Renee Milligan disappeared. Her body was found on the 1st of April, 1984. Mary Bridget Meehan was 18 years old when she disappeared on September 15th, 1982, and her body was found on November 13th, 1982. 
On the 20th of September 1982, 15-year-old Deborah Lorraine Estes, sorry if I'm pronouncing that surname wrong, uh, disappeared. Her body was found on the 30th of May 1988. Linda Jane Rule was 16 years old when she disappeared on September 26, 1982, and her body was found on January 31, 1983. On the 8th of October 1982, 23-year-old Denise Darcel Bush disappeared. Her body was found on the 12th of June 1985. Shonda Leah Summers was 16 years old when she disappeared on October 9, 1982, and her body was found on August 11, 1983. Between the 20th and 22nd of October 1982, 18-year-old Shirley Marie Sherrill disappeared. Her body was found on the 14th of June 1985. Rebecca Becky Marrero was 20 years old when she disappeared on December 3rd 1982 and her body was found on December 21st 2010. Sorry, that's, that's, a, that's so a, a long gap. On the 24th of December 1982, 15-year-old Colleen Renee Brockman disappeared. Her body was found on the 26th of May, 1984. Sandra Denise Major was 20 years old when she disappeared on December 24th, 1982, and her body was found on December 30th, 1985. Wendy Stevens, 14 years old, was reported missing in 1983. Her body was found on the 21st of March, 1984. However, investigators believe her body was there for a year or more before being discovered. Alma Ann Smith was 18 years old when she disappeared on March 3rd, 1983, and her body was found on April 2nd, 1984. Between the 8th and 14th of March, 1983, 17-year-old Dolores Laverne Williams disappeared. Her body was found on the 31st of March, 1984. Gail Lynn Matthews was 23 years old when she disappeared on April 10th, 1983, and her body was found on September 18th, 1983. On the 14th of April 1983, 19-year-old Andrea Marion Childers, or Childers, disappeared. Her body was found on the 11th of October 1989. Sandra K. Gabbert was 17 years old when she disappeared on April 17, 1983, and her body was found on April 1st, 1984. On the 17th of April 1983, 16-year-old Kimmy Kai Pitzer disappeared. Her body was found on the 15th of December 1983. Marie M. Malvar was 18 years old when she disappeared on April 30th, 1983, and her body was found on September 26, 2003. On the 3rd of May, 1983, 21-year-old Carol Ann Christensen disappeared. Her body was found on the 8th of May, 1983. Martina Theresa Authorly was 18 years old when she disappeared on May 22nd, 1983, and her body was found on November 14th, 1984. On the 23rd of May 1983, 18-year-old Cheryl Lee Wims disappeared. Her body was found on the 22nd of March 1984. I don't know why, but that one gave me shivers. Interesting. Um, Yvonne Shelley Antosh was 19 years old when she disappeared on May 31st 1983. Her body was found on October 15th 1983. And I just want to say as well, Shelley is not her middle name. It was her nickname. Okay. Between the 31st of May... And the 13th of June 1983, 15-year-old Carrie Ann Ro Rose, I can't, I'm not sure how to, R-O-I-S. I don't know whether to pronounce it like a French way or an American way. Royce. But um, disappeared and her body was found on the 10th of March 1985. Um, Constance Elizabeth Nowen, N-A-O-N. 
neon. What you're saying is the closest thing I could think um, as well, anyway. Was 19 years old when she disappeared on June 8th, 1983, and her body was found on October 27th, 1983. On the 18th of July, 1983, 22-year-old Kelly Marie Ware disappeared. Her body was found on the 29th of October, 1983. Tina Marie Thompson was 21 years old when she disappeared on July 25th, 1983, and her body was found on April 20th, 1984. On the 18th of August 1983, 16-year-old April Dawn... Show me which one. Buttram. Buttram. Disappeared. Her body was found on the 30th of August 2003, 20 years later. Yeah, one of mine Some of them are crazy, like. Um, Debbie May Abernathy was 26 years old when she disappeared on September 5th, 1983, and her body was found on March 31st, 1984. On the 12th of September 1983, 19-year-old Tracy Ann Winston disappeared. Her body was found on the 27th of March 1986. Maureen Sue Feeney was 19 years old when she disappeared on September 28th 1983 and her body was found on May 2nd 1986. On the 11th of October 1983, 25-year-old Mary Sue Bello, or Bayo, depending on where they're from, um, her um, disappeared and her body was found on the 12th of October 1984. Pamela Annette Avent was was 15 years old when she disappeared on October 26th 1983 and her body was found on August 16th 2003. On the 30th of October 1983, 22-year-old De- Delise Louise Pleasure disappeared. Her body was found on the 14th of February 1984. Kimberly L. Nelson was 21 years old when she disappeared on November 1st, 1983, and her body was found on June 14th, 1986. On the 23rd of December, 1983, 19-year-old Lisa Yates disappeared, and her body was found on the 13th of March, 1984. Mary Exeta West was 16 years old when she disappeared on February 6th, 1984, and her body was found on September 8th, 1985. On the 21st of March 1984, 17-year-old Cindy Ann Smith disappeared. Her body was found on the 27th of June 1987. Patricia Michelle Barzak was 19 years old when she disappeared on October 17th 1986 and her body was found on February 3rd 1993. On the 7th of February 1987, 21-year-old Roberta Joseph Hayes disappeared and her body was found on the 11th of September 1991. Marta Reeves, <clears throat> excuse me, Marta Reeves was 36 years old when she disappeared on March 5th, 1990, and her body was found on September 20th, 1990. In January of 1998, 38-year-old Patricia Yellow Patricia Yellowrobe disappeared. Her body was found on the 6th of August, 1998. Unidentified white female, also known as Jane Doe B17, was between 14 and 18 years old when she went missing. Between December 1980 and January 1984, her body was found on January 2nd, 1986. I am just double-checking something very quickly before I say the last one. Um, So, um, at some point during the years 1973 to 1993... 
a still, ident- un- a still unidentified woman who is estimated to be between 13 years old and 24 years old disappeared. This woman is referred to as Jane Doe B20. Her body was found on the 21st of August 2003. Um, now, just a bit more information on these confirmed victims. So, prior to Ridgeway's confession, authorities had not attributed the murders of Linda Rule, Patricia Barzak, Roberta Hayes, Marta Reeves, Patricia Yellowrobe, or Jane Doe B20 to the Green River Killer. And his confession and directions also led police to discover the bodies of Pamela Avent, Marie Malvar, and April Buttram. <clears throat> On Tuesday, December 21st, 2010, people hiking near the West Valley Highway in Auburn, Washington, came across a a skull, um, which was quite close to where Marie Malvar's remains had been found in 2003. The skull was later identified as Becky Marrero, and the King County prosecutor confirmed that Ridgeway would be charged with her murder on February 11th, 2011. On February 18th, 2011, Ridgway entered a plea of guilty, adding a 49th life sentence to his prior 48. He had previously confessed to Becky's murder, but due to insufficient evidence, it wasn't possible to prosecute him at that time. Tracy Winston's remains, minus her skull, were found in Kent's Cottonwood Grove Park in March 1986, and her skull would not be found until November 2005 near Tiger Mountain. Investigators assume it was carried here likely by Ridgway. Sandra Major, um, sorry, I just want to double check I have her name right. No, I don't. My apologies. Um, No, sorry, I do. There was two Sandras. Um, Sandra Major uh, was not identified until June 2012 when her family approached the King County Sheriff after seeing a movie about Ridgeway and DNA testing confirmed her identity. Wendy Stevens was previously unidentified and was listed under Jane Doe B10. Ridgway had claimed that she was a white female in her early 20s and said he thought she had brown hair. Forensic examination of the remains revealed that she was actually between 12 and 18 years old, likely closer to 15, and she was later confirmed to be 14 years old, making her the youngest of Ridgway's confirmed victims. Jane Doe, B17, was discovered on January 2nd, 1986, as Josh said. Uh, No, sorry, as I said. Um, (laughs) um, Additional remains found on January 18th, 1984, um, so prior to this discovery, um, were matched to this victim. Ridgway claimed responsibility for her death, and Jane Doe, B20, who Josh mentioned, was found in August 2003, but due to only partial remains being found, her face could not be reconstructed and her race could not be determined. She is estimated to have been between 13 and 24 years old, and her time of death is placed between 1970 and 1993, though it's believed that she was killed during the first decade of Ridgeway's spree. Spree is a... Mm. Mm, A right Um, word. Yeah. Gary Ridgway is also suspected of murdering the other six victims that were on the original list of murders attributed to the Green River Killer. However, Ridgway was not charged with these murders, um, nor did he confess to them. Authorities have not found or been able to confirm their suspicion with any reliable evidence. On the 7th of July, 1982, 35-year-old Amina Agashev disappeared. Her body was found on the 18th of April, 1984. Um, Casey Ann Lee, who was born Casey Ann Woods, was 16 years old when she disappeared on August 28th, 1982, and her body has not been found. 
On the 9th of June 1983, 16-year-old Tammy Lyles disappeared. Her body was found in April of 1985. Kelly K. McGuinness was 18 years old when she disappeared on June 28, 1983 and her body has not been found. In July of 1983, 16-year-old Angela Marie Gardner disappeared. Her body was found on the 22nd of April 1985. Patricia Osborne was 19 years old when she disappeared on October 20th, 1983, and her body has not been found. Wait. No. Um, so, again, just a little bit on these um, few victims that we've mentioned. So, Ridgway denies killing Amina Agashev, and it's considered that Amina does not fit with his victim type, given her age and the fact that she wasn't a sex worker or a teenage runaway. Um, I'm pretty sure she was a mother as well, wasn't she? Amina. She, Amina. A mother had, of three, I believe. Yeah, no, not that the prostitutes than the other women Don't have children, killed. of course. Yeah. Um, but she would have been more high risk of a victim. Yes, compared to any of his other victims, yeah. Mm. And it's quite sad mm. that, you know, how, like, how, like, there's categories of, like, high risk high are getting caught, low risk... risk. It's it's very sad it's that there's even like, people that can fit the low risk category yeah. of and you it know is, it's the transients, the teenage runaways, the sex workers. It's the vulnerable. Yeah, the vulnerable people. Exactly. Now don't get me wrong. Like obviously, you know, there's I'm there's people that do sex work that are, you know, the exact same as you and me. Mm. You know, they have their friends, they have their family. Not all of them are out on their own or yeah, out, or out on the but streets you know, or... so. But like still, unfortunately, yeah. a lot of them. But I suppose. Um, in the eighties, there would have been a lot more of a stigma. Yes, whereas, sex work, whereas, whereas now we're, we're, we're kind of at a point where exactly now we're at a point where it's kind of like, look, you do you. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of um, that's the way it should be. Yeah, and I, and I feel like, like if it was that, like, if things were that open-minded, then I don't think they would have been at as much of a risk. risk. It's still high risk, but not low risk. Not. Sorry, low risk. Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird the way it goes. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's formatted in terms of um like low risk of getting caught. Low risk of getting caught or high risk yeah. of getting caught. Um. So during police interviews in two thousand and three, Ridgway did confess to killing Casey Ann Lee. He said he strangled her in nineteen eighty two and left her body near a drive-in theater, um, on the SeaTac Strip. Though law enforcement of law enforcement officials have not been able to find her remains in the area that he indicated, um, there is evidence to suggest that Ridgway killed Kelly McGuinness. Um, shortly before she went missing in nineteen eighty three, Kelly was questioned by police. Um, and during this time, she was dating um Ridgway. Um, and this happened near the Sea Tac Strip. During the summer of 2003, Ridgway gave authorities the location of several of his victims' bodies. He initially identified April Buttram's body as that of Kelly McGuinness and said he often confused the two due to their similar physiques. Ridgway is considered a suspect in the murders of Angela Gardner and Tammy Lyles as their bodies were discovered within a mile of his known victims, Shirley Sherrill and Denise Bush. Tammy wasn't identified until 1998 and Angela wasn't identified until October 2009. 2009 mm, oh sure God. there was one there was a 2010 wasn't as well wasn't there until 2010 yeah it's awful um, Gary Ridgway has also been considered a suspect in the disappearance or murders of numerous other women that were not attributed to the Green River Killer at the time no charges have ever been filed in relation to these suspected victims in December 1980 an unidentified black female who was possibly named Michelle 
disappeared and her body has still not been found. Um, Christy Lynn Vorak was 13 years old when she disappeared on October 31st, 1982, and her body has not been found. On the 12th of August, 1983, 15-year-old Patricia Anne LeBlanc disappeared. Her body has not been found. <clears throat> Rosemary Curran was 16 years old when she disappeared on August 26th, 1987, and her body has not been found. On the 24th of April 1990, 16-year-old Darcy Wade disappeared and her body has not been found. Cora McGuirk was 22 years old when she disappeared on July 22nd, 1991 and her body has not been found. Now, of the victims that have been mentioned in this section, the only one that we are aware of that fits into Ridgeway's victim profile is Rosemary Curran, who was known to have a drug problem and was also known as a sex worker. Um... But we, I did see in my research that apparently he's recently been ruled out as a suspect. Now take that with a pinch of salt because the only resource that I could kind of find for that was another, a pod, podcast. A po- another podcast. I can't remember the name of the podcast, um, but I couldn't find any resources on their site or anything yeah, to confirm or But deny. I'm sure they probably have their resources and check that out. But. And Cora McGuirk was um, a young mother at the time of her disappearance. She had a four-year-old son who actually went on to become an NBA player. Um, now, we won't be naming him because I suppose we don't want to... And as well, that can be easily found out if you're really that interested in finding yeah. it out, you know. Um, and also, I suppose, as you said already earlier in the podcast, there has been bits and pieces and chunks that have been left out due to... Their just like nature. Like their graphic, like they would be... They'd be okay to discuss like that we could still do it but it's just we're aware we, that some people would be yes and we didn't triggered. see the need because you know we've still covered the main we've facts of the, the case and, and as well, the plea deal and so on and so forth it's always important to us to be respectful of the victims and it just to us it felt like by including certain aspects. certain aspects and certain graphic details it would be a massive amount of disrespect to the victims and their families and their loved ones um so yeah that's kind of why we left certain bits out yeah and like if they are information more information that you want to read and you want to do that then check out our resources you know the the information is um, all there including what we didn't we put in we took a lot from um um the, a file from the from prosecuting the office the prosecuting attorney's um file of his comp- compilation of evidence um there is quite a lot in that it's, it's a hefty file very hefty i think it was a couple of hundred pages or something i think it? it was like 160 something or nearly 200 yeah. or something like that it was crazy Mm. and then there's obviously a few articles and news sites and things like that but it's all there on the resources the Seattle Times yeah they were really good for yours they were really good for mine I took a lot from the Seattle Times Um, but yeah so you can always check them out and give a little bit of a deeper dive I think as well it's just kind of we try not to include absolutely everything only what's like important and what's necessary unless it's going to be a multiple episode case yeah or something like that. Um, so, yes. Um, oh, we hope you found the case interesting. Um, respectfully, obviously. Yeah. Um, and that is the Green River Killer, a.k.a. Gary Ridgway, a.k.a. Scum of the Earth, a.k.a. Cunt. Um, and as always, thanks for listening. We love you and we hope that... And you if you're have listening the day this comes out... Day. We recorded it 
literally we're finishing recording now it's five to nine in the evening so um we're going to be finished recording in a minute so this was recorded about between 12 and 11 hours before you get the access to listen to it so, yeah, so it's it's almost live and we did the research today because yeah. <laughs> to be fair we've had a heck we've both had hectic week yeah it's um, been wild. There's just been no time for research this week, I feel but like. But I think we did good. We did. I, um, I'm happy I think with we it. we got all the information that um, we needed. And, I think and as we said, any extra well. you want out of things we'd said that we'd left out, it's all all there in the resources mm-hmm. and there's more available online if you want to do your own research too. Um, as always, if you have any suggestions for cases, now I know 99% of the time we're focused on like murder, crime, serial killers, that kind of a thing. But also, do remember, we're not against, and we do plan on in the future doing things as well, like disaster, other disasters, like and just whether it's natural disasters, human-caused disasters, whether it's kind of conspiracy-style stuff. So remember, you can always send those suggestions in too. Um, because I also quite, th- I also think it's kind of sometimes a little bit harder to find those ones. Yeah. Um. So appreciations in those categories are always definitely appreciated too and that would well, be a real help just a disclaimer if you send in a suggestion and we don't we don't cover that case it's typically because there's not enough information to get a full podcast episode but we do put those suggestions aside because we are hoping to one day have a patreon and, and when we do mini sods we will be, be doing mini sods and things like that so those cases will be covered you know eventually. and at least when the patreon days come if there's ones that we feel are even a little bit too short for a mini sod we could wait till we have three or four suggestions to do and them all do in one episode yeah. kind of a thing um, so don't worry we will try to include all suggestions that come true whether it's soon whether it's at a later date when we're doing a Patreon thing obviously I know if you're suggesting them and then it's Patreon you have to pay sorry about it but we have costs we, we are broke yes okay, we, we are need the support. we are broke and I need to make sure the website's still running yeah. actually on that note it, no, like it's paid for. Okay. I just need to. I, was, I just haven't I was, checked on it in ages. I was gonna say, does it? Does the Does something need to be relicensed? Do you need me to send you money? What's going no, on? No, actually, but the the, the sound, theme, the, yeah, the, the theme tune is. Due, come, it's due soon. Yeah. Kind of August, I think. It's either. I think it's due when you hit like. A certain amount of fifty. How many weeks in a year? Fifty two. So whichever you hit first, either a year or fifty-two episodes, basically, because okay. fifty-two times of using it. So I suppose we'll. So yeah, so I suppose it'll be. But that wasn't that expensive. Yeah, well, it's fine. I'll pay for it this time. But um, yeah. So thanks for enjoying. I mean, for joining. Thanks for joining. Even. Thanks for and listening. listening to little ramble um, again. Apologies for my fucking far, giddiness at the start. That was. was just, I, was I don't say, know where that came from. If you made it this far, thank you because it, it it was chaos for a bit. But I suppose it was just us kind of getting back into it after being away from. It I think I was just a little bit giddy to be doing the podcast again yeah. as well. He did say as soon as we finished the research that he was like, "I can't wait. I'm so excited yeah. to record again." I like, it feels like it's been forever. And we, for those of you who aren't aware, I, I doubt anyone listens this far on the podcast, but for those of you who aren't aware, we also have a YouTube channel and we are hoping to start um, doing videos soon so you'll get to see our beautiful faces. Yeah. How lucky. Beautiful is depending on the fucking day for me anyway. <laughs> it depends on the day of the week. <laughs> Could you imagine if we're doing the video episodes and it's one of those days we have to roll out of bed and into the recording studio? Oh, no. no, no, Josh, no, no. I don't wear makeup, but I'll start. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll loan you my foundation. Yeah. It, might be, it might be a bit light for you, but <laughs> we'll make it work. We'll bronze you up. I'll just get concealer. It's fine. Conceal, don't feel. Don't let them know. Until you explode. Now they you explode. Know. Let it go. Let us go. Your yeah, makeup we're, we're is gonna go terrible. We're just, we're just babbling. We're babbling. It's the voice. <laughs> It's the voice. If you're feeling it in your body. Then that's what it's supposed to do. Bye. Bye.